morning, everyone. My name is Mark Salonga. My wife and I host a community group in the Northwest Valley. Uh, today's scripture reading is Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you for this church. I thank you that you've just uh, done so much for us. I thank you for uh, the perfect sacrifice that you and only you were able to give for us, Lord. Um, Lord, this morning I just pray that you clear all the distractions from us uh, and that we're able to focus on your message uh, that Pastor Tim's going to be delivering to us, Lord. And Lord, um, again, I just uh, lift up your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's, we are continuing. We're in the second week of our devoted series as a church. And last week we talked about it. We framed it up that uh, you see in the early church, Acts 1 and 2, the very first things they do is devote themselves. So Acts 1, you see the very first thing they do, Jesus ascends into heaven, he puts these guys to work, his followers, and the very first thing they do is go into the upper room, and it says they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 2, the church grows, 3,000 people are added to their number, the first thing they do is devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, that all, that worship comes upon them. And so we've been talking about, as a new church, if you're new with us, we're a new church about a year and a half in, that we all want to see God do great things in and through our church and in and through our lives. And the only way that happens is through a radical devotion and dependence upon God. And so we want to learn from the early church, and as a church and as individuals, we want to be devoted to God. And so last week we talked about being devoted to prayer. This week we're talking about being devoted to learning. I remember before I got married, people would say to me, marriage takes some work. And I would think, well, not if you do it right. <laughs> and quickly I realized I had a lot to learn. I remember before we had kids, people would tell me things like, you know, parenting can be difficult. And I would think, ah, oh, you're probably just overthinking it. But quickly I realized I had a lot to learn, right? And that as you look at life and, and navigating all of life and relationships and conflict and finances and the Christian life and what it means to follow Jesus, and you look at all of that, the whole spectrum, you realize that we have a lot to learn. That no one thrives accidentally, that it's learned intentionally, everything in life is, that we all have a lot to learn. And so as we talk about what it means to be devoted, we want to talk about what it means to be devoted to learning. And so we're going to get into it. Why do we need to learn? Mark read it earlier in Romans 12. It talks about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to God is our spiritual act of worship. I won't spend too much time on worship because we're going to hit that in a couple weeks. But you and I were made to worship. You and I were made to worship. And so even this morning, like any good, any glorious thing that you have experienced, that's from God and that we're supposed to experience it in light of that truth and respond in worship. 
And so even before church this morning, as you were talking to friends, that that's a good and glorious thing that God has gifted you. That as you drove in this morning, or, or maybe as you woke up this morning, you saw the sun breaking through the clouds as it always does in Phoenix. And you realize God did that, and you, you worship. Moms, as this morning, as you got chocolates, and you decided to eat them for breakfast, that the, the, the taste of those chocolates, the smell of those chocolates, that you should respond and realize that all of that, that any good, any glorious thing is from God. And that when you realize that, the only natural response is to do what? To praise, to worship God. When you realize and acknowledge that everything is from God, you, you worship God. But Romans 12 we realize we don't always respond that way because there's, there are things that compete for our worship, and it starts in the mind. Look at Romans 12. It says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. That your mind as a follower of Jesus is the gateway to worship. That it starts in your mind, that what you think about is what you're going to care about, that what you care about, you're going to worship. It's like that in any sphere of life, that your mind is the gateway to worship. And oftentimes, our minds wander to those competing things, don't they? That all the things in the world that can distract us, that can consume our minds, that our minds wonder, even if you know Jesus, our minds wonder to those competing things, and we end up not worshiping the creator, but instead the created. And so there's, an, there's a problem, and it starts in our minds. And it's interesting, it's not a problem of lack of information. Like, we're going to talk about learning today, but it's not just a problem of academia, or intellect. It's not just lack of information. 2 Corinthians 4 says it this way. It says, in their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That at one point, if you just stop at that verse, at one point, all of us, every person in this room, however nice we look today, at one point, all of our minds were blinded and we weren't able to even see the goodness and the glory of God. Do you see that? That at one point, that's where we all were. What's interesting is that one guy admitted that. His name is Thomas Nagel. He's a philosopher and an atheist. And he said this in his book, The Last Word. He said, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. At least he admitted it, right? At least he admitted it. It's not just a problem of information or education. That our minds, our hearts have a bent away from God. Do you see that? That we don't naturally run to God. We naturally run away from God and we do that in our minds. And so we need Jesus to change our minds. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, it goes on. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, 
but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that our minds need to be awakened to the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And while some of us have experienced that, it's still a battle. Some of you have placed your faith in Jesus, and and you would say, it's still a battle. My mind still wanders. Romans 8, it says that we set our minds on our flesh. So you and I, if you know Jesus, you're indwelled by the Spirit of God. But we still have our flesh. And Romans 8 tells us that there are times that we set our minds on the things of the flesh. We put our minds on ourselves and not God. And so we wonder in our minds. I mean, just think about Think about your day. Think about your week. Like how much time do you spend thinking about God and how to bring him glory? And how much time do you spend on anything else? That as you assess that, as you evaluate that in your lives, that our minds wonder and they they get captivated by other things, by these competing things in the world that we're conformed to. And so things like work that some of us are workaholics, that we never shut it off, that we work all the time. It's consuming your mind. It's captivating your mind. That some of us, we're consumed with, we're captivated by sin and selfishness and greed. And we think, if I could just achieve more and get more, and maybe there's some other stuff in the world that will please me, and we're envious of others who have things that we don't have, and it consumes and it captivates our mind. I think for a lot of us in the day that we live in, we are consumed with distraction. We're consumed with distraction. I read an article this week that psychologists through lots of studies, have labeled a new disorder. They called it the Internet Addiction Disorder. This isn't a joke. They uh, call it IAD. It says it can cause tremors, shivers, nausea, and anxiety in some addicts. Many professionals now consider IAD analogous to substance abuse. They include it in, among other pathological behaviors such as gambling or eating disorders. I think I've shared this stat with you before, but a, a cybersecurity company called Lookout did a study that said 68% of people don't go one hour without checking their phone. Listen, that's convicting, right? First of all, that's convicting, right? For all of us in this room. But you need to know that's more than just like I do that too often. There is a new battlefield in our minds today that people before us didn't experience, that you and I, that our kids are experiencing a new battlefield for our minds, and ultimately it comes down to distraction. That Satan, that I believe this wholeheartedly, that Satan will use lots of things to distract us. He'll use lots of things to pull us away from Jesus. He'll, he'll take sin and he'll make it look pretty, despite the fact that it's ugly and that it will destroy you. But I think in subtle ways, especially for us as Americans, that Satan takes distraction. And he thinks, if I can just get them not to focus on anything, not to think about their lives, assess their lives, evaluate anything just for a few moments, then they will drift. And if they keep drifting, they will drift away from God, and I'll win. 
there's a battlefield for our minds. And so whatever it is for you, whatever your weakness is in regard to that, we all have a problem. And listen, it's not just a problem with our hands. It's not just a problem with our bodies. It's not just a problem with our actions. It starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. And so what's the solution to our problem? Romans 12 says it. We don't need to be conformed to the ways of this world. We need to be transformed by having our minds renewed over and over and over again. And that's not going to happen through breathing techniques or positive thoughts. That's not going to happen with a self-help section at the bookstore. That is going to happen through the word of God. So what do we need to learn? 2 Timothy says it, 3.16 through 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That you need to know, if you're new to the Bible, that these are the words of God. That literally, these are the words breathed out by God. That the Bible is not speculation about God. That it's supernatural revelation from God. That if you have a Bible in your hand, if you have a phone and there's a Bible app in there, those are the words of God. That it's supernatural revelation from God. And so as believers in Jesus, what do we need to learn? How do our minds need to be renewed? By saturating our minds with the words of God. So that we can be equipped. The other day I was, I was coming home and my three-year-old son was sitting down and he had his play computer and he had his play flip phone. So if you can picture it, he has his play computer in his lap and he has his play flip phone right next to him. And at first, I thought it was really cute. Like my wife and I talked about it like, oh, that's so sweet. Like he's trying to be like daddy. He's got his computer in front of him. He's got his phone right next to him, really close. And we thought, that's, that's so cute, right? It's so sweet. And as I began to think about it, it wasn't so sweet. It was convicting. Because I realized, like, is this the picture that I want my three-year-old son to have of daddy, like me on a computer with my phone next to me? Is that what he thinks of when he thinks of dad? And so I began to think about, man, what, what if, like, computers aren't bad, phones aren't bad, but what if instead of that, what if I came home and my son had a big fat Bible? Like one of those heavy ones I just handed out. What if he had a, a big fat Bible and it was sitting in his lap? And what if next to him he had a journal and a pen? Like how much better would that be? Because he would be modeling what his dad is showing him, how to load his mind with thoughts of God. That you and I, we need to devote ourselves to learning not just anything but the words of God the supernatural revelation from God we need to model that to our kids we need to model that for an onlooking world that wonders is this really authentic we need to we need to take our bibles we need to load our minds with thoughts of God and this shouldn't just be a, a guilt trip I'm speaking to myself, right? This shouldn't just be a, a guilt trip for you. I know some of you are thinking that, though. Some of you, as we talk about reading the Bible, you hear that a lot. It's not something you haven't heard before, right? 
You, you hear that a lot, and maybe your mind immediately goes to, I know. I know. I know I should read my Bible more. I know I'm just busy. There's lots of things going on in my life. I, tem- I know I should read my Bible more. And, and maybe you're thinking, like, honey, we got we to gotta make some changes. We got to cancel cable. We got to delete all social media. And we got to live at the church because we got to read our Bibles all the time. Like, we got to do something. And listen, this is not a guilt trip. I don't want you to go there. We're not going to. Listen, trust me. We're not going to, at the end of this service, have an invitation and invite you to bring your phones to the altar (laughs) and burn them. That's not going to happen, right? Technology is good. Like, I don't want to print out maps anymore. I like just looking at my phone. Right? So technology is not the enemy necessarily, But what we want you to do, what I want you to do this morning, is not feel guilty about not reading the Bible. I want you to see the value, the immense value, how it's profitable in your life, how you should cherish it, how it's sweeter than honey, as we're about to read in a few minutes, that you should desire it more than gold. I want you to see the words of God as immensely profitable because it is. That it's a blessing, not a burden. It's a a delight, not a duty. That's my goal, even in this moment, that you would see the Bible that way. 2 Timothy 3 explains it. It's profitable. It teaches us. That it reproves us. How many of you have listened to a sermon and you thought, maybe you didn't say it, but you thought, like, is he talking to me? Maybe you nudged your spouse and you're like, Did you send him my emails? Like, how does he know this? Listen, I don't know. But God does. And the Holy Spirit of God, listen, when we teach the Bible, this is what's happening. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit of God is working, it's moving, it's penetrating your heart and your mind. And as you open these pages, as you look at these words, as I teach to you, That the Holy Spirit is taking those words and he's bringing about conviction. So I haven't been reading your emails. I don't need to. God does. He knows exactly what you need and he's disseminating that truth even now. And so that piercing that you feel, that conviction that you feel, that's God reproving you. That that's what scripture does. That it also corrects us. The beauty of scripture, it doesn't just point out sin. It doesn't just make you feel guilty. Maybe some of you are here and and you left the church at one point or maybe you've never come to church. Maybe you're brand new because you just think, well, it's just I read this stuff, I hear this stuff, and I just feel so guilty. Listen, the purpose is not just guilt or conviction. That scripture corrects us. That it gives us a way to overcome our sin. That it gives us a plan. It gives us the power to overcome our sin, it corrects us, it trains us in righteousness. So listen, the Bible will teach us, it will show us what's wrong, it will help us get back on track, it will train us up in the way that we should go. It'll train us up in the righteousness of Christ. If you have an actual Bible in your hand, that's what this is. It's not a guilt trip. It has immense value for your life. You need to devote yourselves to learning it. That's why every week I stand up here and preach it. It's not because that I think that I will say something that you'll think, I've never heard that before. 
I'm not going to most likely uncover some hidden truth that you think, man, I've been in church my whole life, I've been reading the Bible, never heard that nugget before. Thank you, Tim. That may not happen, but listen, what will happen every Sunday is by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, He will convict you, He will correct you, He will train you up in Jesus Christ. That's what we do every Sunday. That's the opportunity before us today. What if we devoted ourselves to it? Psalm 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them, though, there is great reward. Do you see God's word like that? More desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. In, in our day, we have more access to the Bible than ever before, right? We have study Bibles, we have kids' Bibles, we have picture Bibles, we have Bible apps, we have podcasts, we have blogs that talk about the Bible. You can listen to the Bible. We have more access to the Bible than ever before. Even at our church, we have a podcast that goes out online every week. And there's stats associated with that that they give us about where people are when they listen to our podcast. And so I was just looking this week just to see where, where some people are that are listening to Phoenix Bible Church podcasts, and there was a few places. One was Stamford, Connecticut, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Quincy, Massachusetts, London, and Colombo, Sri Lanka. hope I said that right. And listen, the point is not that my sermons are awesome and they're getting out to the world. That's not the point, right? The point is, you can access our podcast, other podcasts, you can access teaching from the Bible, from the Word of God, anywhere in the world, in any form you would so desire. And while that's a beautiful thing, I have to question, because of that, have we become numb to it? Have we become numb to it? Maybe you, maybe you haven't even been in church that long, but you got like three Bibles, that one's got some dust on it. That one, you're not sure where it is. That every once in a while, you're like, honey, where's that other little Bible I like to take with me and put in my pocket? Like, we have so many Bibles. You have it on your phone in multiple apps. Is it possible that we've taken the 66 books, the 40-plus authors over 1,500 years in three different languages, God's inspired word to us, is it possible that we've taken this and we've become numb to it? That we don't open it with the same luster that we did when we first met Jesus. That we don't take it and, and like our church fathers, treasure it because we know like we can be persecuted for holding this. That there's some people that don't want us to read this. That's the history of this book. We have it so accessible, we need to treasure it. More than gold, sweeter than honey. Do you do that? How, how can we 
do that. Over Christmas, we did an event or helped with an event called Christmas in the Park, and we got to hand out toys to like 1,200 families. It was amazing, and I got to uh, put a table up for Phoenix Bible Church, and I, I brought some Bibles, and like 1,200 families are here, and they're all here to get gifts. It's in the park right behind our school, and so I'm there. I got a table, and I got like 60 books because I'm thinking that most of these kids are going to give me the Heisman as they run by and get their toys, right? They don't want to stop and talk to a pastor and get a Bible. Like, I'm just going to be in their way. Sixty Bibles were gone in ten minutes. At one point, it got really awkward because there was two Bibles left sitting on the table. They were the last, or sorry, there was one Bible left sitting on the table, and it was a really nice Bible. It was like an action Bible for kids. And two moms came up, and I had to decide which one to give it to. It wasn't awkward at all. They, they wanted the Bible. They were hungry for the word of God. Uh, next time we do that, we're going to bring a lot more than 60 Bibles. What if we had a hunger, a desire for the word like that? What if we weren't numb to it? The Bible is profitable. It has immense value for all of our lives. So how do we devote ourselves to learning it? The first thing is we need to have a posture of learning. We need to see the Bible, and we want to cherish it because it's the words of God, and we need to have a posture of learning. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. That we need to be open to learning, especially from God. That God is really smart. God is really wise. That he created all of life, that he knows every aspect of it. He knows how it works. And so we can either argue with him and be foolish, or we can listen to him and be wise. That we want to have a posture of learning. And maybe some of you, you're, you're thinking, like, I don't know if I have that right now. I don't know if I see the urgency to read my Bible, to learn the Bible. I don't know if I have that. Listen, I would just tell you really practically, here's what you need to do. You need to teach others. Like, if you don't have an urgency for learning, you need to begin to teach others, and you need to teach kids. I remember early on when my daughter was little, she asked me, like, Daddy, why did Jesus have to die? And all I could think about was, well, he was the atonement for our sins. It's propitiation, Neela, that he died to satisfy God's wrath on our behalf. Don't you see it? <laughs> My three-year-old child, don't you see that? And I began to realize, like, do I even know what those words mean? Like, do I know how to actually explain this to a real person? And as I began to teach kids, as I began to teach my kids, I began to learn everything all over again. If you don't have an urgency to learn Scripture you need to start trying to teach other people. Maybe that sounds weird to you, but you need to just try, and then you will have an urgency. <laughs> when the kid is looking, listen, when the kid is looking in your face like you don't know what you're talking about, you never want to experience that again. You want to go to Scripture, and you want to have the answers. You want to be able to explain it. You need to teach and talk to other people who disagree with you. That guy at work who is annoying that neighbor who you know doesn't believe in Jesus, every once in a while, don't do it all the time, don't torture yourself, but every once in a while, you need to go over and talk to him and just be like, hey man, what role has God played in your life? 
And you know he's going to be like, nothing. Like, and he's going to start asking you questions. Like, you want to go talk to those people every once in a while. Because as you do that, as you see the opposing views, you want to learn God's word. There will be an urgency to learn God's word. You need to have a posture and develop that posture if it's not already there. Corey Tenboom said this, the best learning I, ha- I had came from teaching. And so we want to be learners. We want to teach others. We want to begin to have an urgency to realize what we don't know, and we want to go to God's word and learn it. We want to have a posture of learning. This week I was invited to uh, like an older leaders and younger leaders forum. There's about 15 of us, some of us older leaders in the valley, some of us younger leaders, and we got together around this idea of what prevents mentoring from happening. And we got out the whiteboard and we wrote all these things down. And what, what prevents mentoring from happening? And all of the answers were somewhat varied, but they all boiled down to this, and it was pride. On both sides of the aisle, pride. That the older guys admitted, like, yeah, there's some pride in there. I don't, I don't want to go to a younger guy and ask him, like, hey, can I mentor you? Can I come alongside you? Because maybe he won't want to do that. Maybe he won't appreciate my methods. And there's some pride that prevents them from doing that. The younger guys talked about how there's some pride that prevents us from engaging in mentoring relationships because we think we, we think we know everything, right? But it ultimately boiled down to pride. And so we talked about how do, we, how do we push that to the side? How do we actually engage? Because we all want this. How do we get rid of the pride and learn from one another? And so you need to have a posture of learning from God, and then you need to have a posture of learning from others around you, that you would humble yourself to realize there's things that you don't know, and that God has gifted you, some people in your church, some people in your life, who follow Jesus that can teach you some things. And listen, you don't have to say, will you mentor me? Like, everybody's not going to be your Mr. Miyagi. I don't look for that just one unicorn of a person who loves sports just like you do who loves the same songs that you do, who wakes up at the same time that you do, who has the same kind of dog that you do. Like if you're looking for that mentor, maybe God will give that to you, but probably not. You're probably gonna find it in a few people that you take out to coffee, that you grab dinner with. And I feel like I say this, we all think it's hypothetical because I talk to you and we still say like, I'm not doing that. What, what if we did it? What if we actually walked away and we we did today, like maybe we asked our mom, like, hey, what was it like when you were a kid? What did you learn? How did you learn about the Bible? Who brought you to Jesus? Do you know that story from your mom? Do you know how she struggled? Do you know her successes? What if you just began today and asked your mom? That would make it a happy Mother's Day, I promise you. What if we had a posture of learning from God and learning from others? And then secondly, that we would practice learning. Psalm 1-2 says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night that you would load your mind with thoughts of God. And some of you hear that day and night, you're thinking my day and night are already full. Like I don't have room to add things to my schedule. And what I would say to you is, is I can relate and I totally understand that. I'm a pastor of a, of a newer church, we don't have a staff. There's lots of details every week that have to get done. There's lots of things going on. I have a family. I have three kids, and, and we are 
busy. There's lots of demands on our time. And I began to get convicted going through this this week. And I just told my wife, listen, i got to cut some things out. Like, i got to take some stuff off my plate for our church and in my personal life. And i got to take more time so that I can learn God's word. And listen, I've been to seminary. But I need to keep going back to it. I need to devote myself to it. And maybe that means I need to cut some things out. Maybe that means in your life you need to cut some things out. If you can't even think about meditating on God's word, maybe you need to put down your phone. Maybe you need to turn it off. Maybe you need to have times at the dinner table where you actually all sit around the dinner table and you talk about what's the best part of your day? What was hard today? What does the Bible say about that? Maybe you need to cut some other things out so that you can soak up this rich book. But it's not just about adding things, right? It's not just about adding a to-do list to your life. It's about reorienting all of your life around the word of God. So that when you're driving to work in the morning, that you, you think about, you recall thoughts of God, truths about who God is. That when you feel yourself immersed in doubt, maybe some of you that was this morning. You came here, you were busy, it was stressful, and you began to doubt, like, should we even be here today? Do these people really like me? Like, when that person didn't say hi to me, like, what did I ever do to them? Like, as you begin to see yourself and and sense yourself going there in your thoughts, that you would recall truths of the Bible. That it would be so ingrained into you, you would reorient your life around it, that in those moments you could say, faith, not fear. That the glory of God Not the glory of self, that other people's thoughts of me, their approval, I have ultimate approval in Jesus Christ, that you could, in the natural rhythms of life, recall the truths of God. What would that be like? How would that change your life if you begin to practice learning God's word in that way, meditating on it? Some of you think, well, I'm not very meditative. Yes, you are. You meditate on things all the time. You meditate on sports. You meditate on stats from 2005 about the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know why. I think they were really horrible then. But you meditate on a lot of things that don't matter. You meditate on fashion. You meditate on things that other people are meditating on on Facebook. You meditate on lots of things. Meditate on the word of God. Isaiah 55 says this. It says, God's word doesn't return empty. That if you meditate on it, it doesn't return empty. That it accomplishes exactly the purpose God has given it in your life. That that's God's word. As you look at your lives, the things that consume your thoughts and your minds, the things you meditate on, how are they returning things to you? Are they returning anything to you? Can you look at what consumes your mind and think, am I becoming a better father? Am I becoming a a more Christ-like Mother, am I becoming a more loving spouse? Am I becoming a better friend? Are the things that you're consuming, that you're meditating on, are they making you better? Listen, social media, sports, those things aren't bad, but are they making you better? God's word will not return empty. What if we meditated on it? We have a few opportunities to do that. That's what we're doing right here on Sundays. I want you, I desire for you to to learn and not just listen on a Sunday. That you would grab an actual Bible, you would read it, you would take some notes. And some of you are thinking, Tim, it is super dark in here. Like, I, I've tried that. I can't see. Well, 
you need to know, uh, just FYI, some of these lights are just out. They're broken. And so this isn't an ambiance we're trying to create. Trust me, like every once in a while, I want to see your face. Like I want to see you giving me a head nod. So this isn't some ambiance we're trying to create, and so we're having the lights fixed soon, but man, man just try. Bring a flashlight. <laughs> Take notes until we get the lights fixed. The order is in. And that you would learn, that you would meditate on God's word on Sundays, that you would do that during the week, that Christianity is not a place, an event that you come to once a week and then leave. It's a lifestyle. It's a devotion. That you would do this during the week. And I think some of us don't do it because we feel inadequate. I feel this way with finances. You show me a spreadsheet with numbers and I immediately start yawning. It's like a natural reflex for me. Because I don't understand it, because I'm not really wired that way, because I think, well, nobody ever really showed me how to work my finances and use a spreadsheet. Nobody ever modeled that for me. And so, so I just get frustrated oftentimes, and I give up. But someone, by God's grace, pointed me to mint.com. And that's changed my life. No longer do I yawn about finances, but mint.com, if, you, if you've never used it, you should use it, sends me an email every week. I connect all of my accounts to it, that it budgets my life for me. It's amazing. And it sends me an email with a pie chart showing me all the categories of spending in my life. And before I was yawning when I was looking at our finances, now I'm like really excited calling my wife in. Like, Jay, look at this. Look at this pie chart. How do they do that? This is amazing. Because I have a tool now. So I hired a CPA to do my finances and to do my uh, taxes because I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> and that's a tool now for me. I don't stress about tax season because I know my guy's got it. So I have some tools. So my inadequacy has turned into somewhat of a sufficiency, an equipped preparedness where when I go to look at my finances, it doesn't deflate me instantly. <laughs> that I'm somewhat excited to look at them because I have tools. And it's the same way with the Bible. Some of you feel inadequate. Nobody's ever taught this to me. I've never had uh, someone teach me how to read the Bible. When I go to read it, I just get confused, and I start thinking about my day and other things, and, and I wouldn't even know how to start. And listen, I want to give you some tools just as we close. Because with some tools and with the Holy Spirit of God, that changes everything that you can begin to read your Bible and be renewed and transformed by it. So I want to give you some tools. You can write these down. How do we live this out? The first thing is revelation. You actually study God's word. You study God's word. You make it a priority. You reorient your life around it. You make that decision today. It's not hypothetical. You do that today so that things would change in your mind and in your life. So the first thing, these aren't on the screen but you can write these down. Here's, here's four points of just when you go to God's word, when you open it up, when you look at a passage, here's a way you can study the Bible. Here's a tool to put in your tool, tool belt. The first thing is really easy. Read or listen to a passage. I say listen because I know some of you are like, I'm not a reader, Tim. I'm never going to do this. You can listen to a passage. Read or listen to a passage. Try to do that two times. And then ask a question. Ask a question. Write it down. What does this text say about God? What does this text say about God? 
And so as you're reading through a passage, that you would look and see, what does it say about God the Father? What does it say about God the Son? What does it say about God the Holy Spirit? What does this text say about God? What does it say about his character, his nature, his works? And you'd write those things down. The next question you would ask is, what does it say about you? So what does this text say about mankind, humanity? How does it describe us? What does this text say about you, that you would write those things down? The last thing, that after you've done that, you would list examples to follow, commands to obey, and things to avoid. You would write out examples to follow, commands to obey, and things to avoid. That as you go to God's word, maybe later today, tonight, tomorrow, that you would be able to open up and you would be able to say, I'm going to read this, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to ask, what does it say about God? What does it say about me? And then are there examples to follow, commands I need to obey, things I need to avoid? Those are some tools. All of you can do that. All of you can do that with your kids. All of you can do that with your roommates. And we can start there with some tools of how to study God's word. That's revelation. The second thing is observation. That once you begin to learn God's word, that you would see the world through a lens of the word. So once you begin to study God's word and learn truths about you and learn truths about God, that you would begin to see all of life through that lens, that you would begin to see your life through that lens, that you would look at your past, your mistakes, your sins, your successes, and you would see them through a lens of what God says about those things and not what you say, that you would pay attention to your past in light of God's word, that you would look at others the mistakes they've made, the successes they've had. And you would see all of those through a lens of God's word. As you learn it, you would observe the world around you, that you would look at our world, that you would look at politics, that you would look at movies, that you would look at culture through a lens of the word of God. That you would pay attention to the world around you, that you would see it through a lens of his word. And then the last thing, that you would apply it application, that you would live accordingly to both of those things. Do you see it? So you have revelation, observation, application. That you study God's word, that you load your mind with thoughts of it, that you take notes, that you learn it, you devote yourself to it, you observe the whole world in light of it, but you don't stop there. You live out of that. Some of you are thinking about some people that you know who know the Bible, but they are jerks. You're thinking, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of pastors who I'm pretty sure they know the Bible, but they cheat on their wife. There's a lot of people who know the Bible, but they're greedy. There's a lot of people who know the Bible, but they don't, I don't see that in their life. We need to apply it. As we talk about devoting ourselves to learning, it's not about intellect, academia, education, or information. It's about information that leads to application, that leads to transformation, Romans 12. That the goal is that we would apply this. Edgar Dale, uh, a guy who did a lot in education, said this, that we retain 10% of what we read, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we read and hear, 50% of what we hear and see, 70% of what we say ourselves, and 90% of what we do ourselves. That as you learn, as you devote yourselves to it, that you would live that out. It wouldn't end here. That it would lead to your heart and it would lead to your hands, that you would apply what you're learning. As we look at life, 
as we look at the, the issues in life, the problems in life that are difficult to navigate, even in your relationship with God, even in the midst of your doubt, even in the midst of your sin, in your friendships, in your marriage, as a mom, that you would see all of that and it would give you an urgency to learn. And not just learn anything, but to learn from the word of God. That you would devote yourselves to it, you would meditate on it, you would put other things to the side so that you could actually do that and we would do that collectively as a church. And here's the goal. The goal is ultimately we would get more of Jesus. Paul says this in Colossians, that the riches of full assurance and understanding and knowledge are found in Christ. That I want you to learn, not so you can accumulate knowledge, but so you can be transformed by Jesus Christ. So you can get more of Jesus Christ, because in him are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's devote ourselves to that. Let me pray. Father in heaven. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the 66 books, the 40 plus authors, the 1500 years, the three languages, that all the pieces of this puzzle that came together, that you guided by your Holy Spirit so that we today in 2016 on Mother's Day could be sitting here with a copy of it in our hands. God, I pray that wouldn't be lost on us that wouldn't pass us by. We wouldn't just go to brunch after this and miss that. But God, we would treasure it. We would see it as more desirable than gold, as sweeter than honey. And we would read it. We would load our minds with it. We would saturate our hearts in it, that we would devote ourselves to learning. Imagine, God, I just imagine what would happen if all of us actually did that, what you would do in and through us and around us, in our lives and in our church. God, help us to see the opportunity before us with your word and with learning and help us to, to take a next step today. Uh, by your spirit, through your word, we pray that. Amen.